Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You are now entering a spiz-free zone. No unicorns, no rainbows, no chiropractic fairy tales, just progressive talk for progressive chiropractors. So buckle up and get ready. We're moving the profession forward. And now, your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Welcome, everybody, to Forward, the, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everybody that we have the Forward KC, Forward Thinking Chiropractic's first ever chiropractic uh, symposium in Kansas City, Cleveland Chiropractic College. The folks at Cleveland were generous enough to host us in our first ever endeavor into uh, a grand gala of speakers and vendors and mentoring and networking with like-minded uh, progressive chiropractors. That's going on June 1st through 3rd, and you can find out more at forwardthinkingchiro.com. Um, in addition to that, please check out that website in its entirety, and if you're interested and you haven't yet, uh, be sure to become a member of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. It gives you lots of goodies and discounts, and more and more content is added day to day. Uh, including these podcasts and some other things we're going to produce along the way, but that's a secret for now. Um, but be on the lookout because we're going to have some fun stuff. Uh, my guest today is specifically brought on uh, to this podcast because his his accent is awesome. He's got that Southern feel and that Southern draw, and his name is Dr. Mike Massey. Uh, hello, sir. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. These podcasts, uh, I think I've done two of them so far today. Uh, so it's, it's a challenge to sort of uh, keep, your, keep your up up. You, know what you I mean? should be getting good at it now. Yeah, it's getting easier. The more <laughs> you do these things, it, it's easier. And that's a lesson for life. I think a lot of the younger Kairos um, see some of these uh, content production sort of things like doing videos or doing uh, digital stuff or podcast or whatever it is on the content creation side of the digital world. And all I got, all I can say is uh, you got to just keep doing it and you get better and better as you go. Exactly. Doesn't have to be perfect. Just keep trying. And it's the same for the older folks too. So a lot of the, uh, the older docs, they don't want to get into any of this stuff because it's foreign and um, it's unfamiliar. But if you avoid it, it's uh, that's a snake in the grass. It can bite you in the butt for sure. Well, you kind of fall off the map ultimately if you're not careful. Yeah, totally. Um, can you give me your, what do they call that thing? Your origin story? Can you tell me like how you sort of got to where you're at, what you love to do, how you like to take care of your patients, all that sort of stuff? Oh, wow. Um, as far as my origin into chiropractic yeah. itself? Yeah, you know, like that's that story that you have to tell everybody where you were adjusted uh, yeah. when you were eight and then, you know, it cured your leprosy and then you decided <laughs> to become a chiropractor. Yeah. I mean, I was dead. Yeah. And I came back to life. So Flatline, I'm good. right? Yeah, absolutely. Two days, they put you in a cave, and they rolled right. a, a big boulder in front of the cave. Well, I, I'm not going to claim that one. I'm in the Bible Belt, man. That'll get me in trouble. Um, so my story is this. Uh, I was actually a pre-med student. I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine guy. And uh, in the middle of all that stuff, I was working at a wholesale nursery, and I was also playing a lot of um, softball. I played on a semi-pro semi softball team at that time and we were traveling all over the country and uh within all that time suddenly my arm stopped moving my right arm my throwing arm now it worked it didn't work well and i was really concerned 
uh, it didn't really hurt so much as it just didn't function. And so the ortho mentor that I was using to push me towards orthopedic surgery, uh, I went to him first because I, I figured he was the one I could figure it out. He didn't touch me. He didn't lay his hands on me. He didn't ask me to do any orthopedic tests. He didn't ask me anything much about history. It was just symptoms. And without blinking an eye, he said, well, I think it's rotator cuff. I think we'll just go ahead and schedule you for the surgery so we can get it over with. Yeah. So, wow, I was 20, I think, at that time, 19 or 20. And that, you know, didn't go well with me. And so I started asking around, as most of us do, uh, other people, other friends, uh, family members, that kind of thing. What the heck would you do in my situation? A um, couple of influencers. One was a, a teammate on my softball team. He said, go to the chiropractor. And I said, I don't have a back problem. I have my arm that doesn't work. And he said, well, go there. They're not going to cut on you. They're not going to inject you. Give it a try. And if they can help you, they'll help you. If not, you go to the next step, which made good sense. But I still was kind of skeptical. Um, my wife, I was dating at the time, wasn't even my fiance at the time, but her, her mother was a staunch chiropractic advocate um, and, and really swears that the chiropractor she saw brought her back to life uh, after some malabsorption syndrome situations after her third pregnancy and um, some psychological issues. And he helped her out as much nutritionally and lifestyle uh, as much as he did adjusting her, but she believed in being adjusted too. She was constantly after me trying to get me a to go to the chiropractor and B to be one. Um, so I did. So I broke down and went and my first treatment was fantastic. Uh, I had problems that I thought I couldn't get rid of, uh, cost over issues and things that were just sort of side effect got better, uh, after I was worked on the first time. And uh, it was basically discovered that I had a long thoracic nerve entrapment, uh, that was, keeping my scapula from being held against the thorax when I would try and use my arm and throw. I mean, it got so bad that when I was working at the wholesale nursery, I was swinging a sledgehammer and building greenhouses and digging ditches and carrying these heavy backpack sprayers, which is probably what started the whole thing anyway. Mm -hmm. But I drove a straight shift car and a little Toyota back then. And I got so bad with my shoulder that I, I had to just lock my elbow against my rib cage and swing my body right and left to shift the gears. Oh man. So it was brutal. And that stuff started coming back pretty rapidly. Um, and I remember I was on a trip with my softball team because I was getting better. I was getting better and I could throw better and I could hit again and I could see everything starting to, to bloom and blossom and all my pieces coming back together again. And we played a softball game in the, um, Oh, where was it? Big stadium anyway. And, uh, one of the hits I got, I was in batting practice, but I, I mean, I clocked it. Um, they said it would have gone out of the Astrodome, but it was foul. It was foul. So it doesn't count, <laughs> but, but that just kind of gave me, uh, Mike, it's softball. It doesn't count anyways. Right. Right. That's <laughs> exactly right. But it's still, you know, I knew what it took to get that ball out there and I hadn't been able to do that in a long time. So, right. Uh, along the way on that journey, um, I made the decision to look into this chiropractic thing because like I said, I, I really wanted to be a doctor. I really, um, I wanted to help people. I thought sports was the cool thing. And then I thought even, if this stuff really works like it works, it could be the future. Cause back then it was starting to be the whole issue with all the people having their Tommy John surgeries and their rotator cuff surgeries and being out of the game for a long time. Yeah. I thought, Man, if some of those things are really this, when I think it's rotator cuff, it's just this long thoracic nerve business. Uh, chiropractors are going to really look good, you know, to professional athletes and things. And so that was my pipe dream then was that I would be working for a pro team, you know, right out of school because there would be such a demand. Um, so I went off to school and I went to life 
not because I loved it, but because it was close to home. Um, mm-hmm. Two hour drive down the road. I was in love. Um, I was engaged at the time and I just didn't want to go anywhere else. I actually visited Logan and really loved it and was actually going to go to Logan. And uh, because life had had some accreditation problems in Tennessee, um, Tennessee was not going to allow anybody that, that graduated from life to get a license. And so I had to look somewhere else. And while I was uh, traveling to Logan, uh, a guy I knew that was at life called and said, everything's fixed, whatever needed to happen, happened. He even th- thinks that somebody died that needed to die. <laughs> and so <laughs> suddenly life got their accreditation back for Tennessee. So I did a U-turn and instead of going back over to Chesterfield, Missouri, I went to Marietta, Georgia and the rest is history. Life always seems to pull that off. They always yeah. seem to, to come out in the end. The, the accreditation's always right on the uh, brink of disaster. And then they come back around like a Phoenix. Rising from too many times, too many times. We, uh, when I was in chiropractic college, we, we inherited tons of students from life. Yeah. Uh, all, all the way out to Western States. They, they lost all this accreditation sure. and the students abandoned ship and then they got it back again. Yep. I remember when all that happened, a lot of people lost a lot of money. You know, yes. Because their credits wouldn't transfer and they had to move and all that kind of thing. It was bad. Very expensive. Yeah. Um, what do you typically, how does your practice look? How, how are you set up? Um, I'm a one man show. Um, I have a small staff. Uh, I've had massage therapists and therapy assistants in the past. And then for whatever reason, uh, the last time those folks cycled out of circulation, I didn't replace them. I thought I could do it on my own so far. I have done pretty well with that. Um, pretty straightforward practice, um, mostly hands-on manipulation, soft tissue work, and a little bit of rehab. Um, I'm always looking at different things and trying to incorporate different stuff. We started doing some dry needling not too long ago. Um, I think IASTM is kind of cool stuff. I just don't know if I have the energy or the time to do it. Um, and that's more relative to the financial environment. I practice in a very small rural town, um, very insurance dependent, not a lot of expendable income. And so everybody's dependent on their, uh, health insurance, you know, to come and see me. So, some of the changes in our health insurance in Tennessee, we have a lot of capped payments and a lot of global payments. So in many plans, no matter what you do, you only get a certain amount. And so for efficiency, we, we do what we have to do right. a lot of times. Um, I mean, it's not like we have cut people off and when we don't do the things, you know, I do a lot of things I don't get paid for and I did all along. Uh, it's just a little bit more obvious now. And so I'm more aware of it, you know, because time is money now, even more than it ever was. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a weird, you know, I was on a phone call with a uh, student that was graduating this morning and uh, he was just shocked about how much, how much you do in practice because it's what the patient needs, but how much actually gets paid for oh, yeah. by the insurance company. And uh, that's kind of, that's how it is, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And in the insurance world, that's exactly what's happening. And it's, it's an ever dwindling sum game, you know, it's just going down all the time. You know, and the uh, the the sort of re- uh, reactive way to think about it is then, well, I'm just going to go all cash. But I don't think many people understand that game at all. That's a completely different game. It's um, not, and it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> you know, if right. you haven't done it, if you didn't start out that way, and you didn't have a a community that supported that, uh, a wellness community, a expendable income community, it's yeah. not the easiest thing to transition to or to start up. And a lot of people don't understand that. And you know, I'll complain about and lament all the issues that I have with health insurance and, and where that's going around here. And a lot of people say, well, just go cash. We just go cash. Well, you know, 
I know the blue collar population of my community and I know what happened the one time I bailed out of an insurance network because I thought they were treating us poorly and we lost 30% of our practice overnight, overnight, even though I was, I can try to convince them that they'd be paying exactly the same out of pocket that they would have been with their plan. It didn't matter. I wasn't on the matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter to them. It's all about the list. And if you're on the list, it doesn't matter. And that's, that's exactly what I told this, this young person was, uh, you know, cause they, he, he was really stressed about all the marketing things he has to sort of get caught up on and all this other stuff. And I said, yeah, if you're, if you are going all cash, then you better be a master marketer and you better know your ideal client and you better know your community and your population. But when it comes to insurance people that none of that stuff matters, it's a list. Right. And they look at the list and they look at who's closest. Then they go from who's closest on the list over to Yelp to make sure you're not a complete doofus. <laughs> exactly. And then they give you a call from there. And none of the marketing has anything to do with that. Now it might catch their eye if they see your name on the list and there's been some marketing around like, Oh, I've heard that yeah. name before. Yeah. But, but not like you think where you're attracting people to you um, in, in these blue collar communities, which I think have worked in just about every community. Yeah. And, we um, to show how old I am, we did a thing in the, with the newspaper a few years ago in my town that was called Top of the Mind Awareness. And we would <laughs> constantly have a, almost a business card size ad very rapidly, very constantly in our newspaper just to get the name recognition out there. And I think it worked. Of course, now in this day and age, it wouldn't have just been a waste of money, but you could do Top of the Mind Awareness in other ways. Yeah. But, but that's, you're right about that though. Um, the list is important, but the Top of the Mind Awareness helps push you to the top of that list sometimes. I always tell these young chiropractors, if you're getting started, um, it would be better to eliminate as many barriers to care as possible. So, you, you know, there are definitely some plans and, and we definitely don't want to say any names, but there are some plans that under no circumstances do you ever want to participate in. Right. You know, and even in those situations, there are some times where you might want to participate in, but they're, they're not, they're not good plans at all. Uh, they're vultures. But yes. what you want to do is try to be on as many plans as you possibly can that are at least decent, right. try them out, uh, definitely include Medicare in the mix if you're a young chiropractor. You can't overlook that. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a valuable, uh, a valuable patient base and a valuable third-party provider. Um, and then, you know what? Do it for a year or two. Look at the metrics of what gets paid and what doesn't and, and if you're satisfied with uh, all these plans and start dropping one at a time. And about five, six years into practice, uh, you might keep one or two plus Medicare and the rest is just uh, your fee for service folks. Yeah. And, and a lot of guys, especially the new guys don't understand the trickle down effect that, that can have. Yeah, or totally. Medicare, or Medicare and, and you got a Medicare lady, you know, patient who is really happy with your services and they tell their kids and their grandkids, you know, right. that kind of thing. that's a whole different animal there. And it goes up, up the ladder too, you know, with their health plans, but that's why I think you can't discount them. You know, again, I admire anybody that can do all cash and can survive and thrive at it. I think that'd be awesome. And, and I could I did see it for, I did it for seven years. Uh, me and my MD, uh, it was me and an MD in the office and we were both all cash and I can probably tell people how to do a cash practice and be successful. I don't think most of our audience, the evidence-based sort of progressive Cairo is willing to do what it would take. Yeah, it's not easy. And, I, and I've seen it done. and I've seen it done successfully. And I've seen it done admirably and I've seen it done artistically. Um, and I admire the people that can do it. And I envy them in some ways. Certainly. Yeah, it's pretty uh, they, fun. They do work hard, though. 
you know? <laughs> it's a different, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing in all these situations, you're going to work hard. Yes. And that's when I, you know, you, when you hear a young doc say, uh, uh, I just want to go all cash. And then you ask their motivations and you dig a little deeper, you realize that it's because they don't want to do the work or, uh, you know, the, they don't want to do the work that it takes to learn how to code or bill properly. They don't want to do the work to understand what it means to document properly. They don't want to do the work. So they just figure I'll go all cash and I won't have to work as hard. Right. You're still working hard. It's just a different type of work you're going to have to do. And if you don't like that work either, uh, you know, uh, Costco, Walmart, <laughs> Sam's Club. What do, you get, what do you guys have out there, Costco or Sam's Club? Um, we have, well, we have both, actually. Yeah, There's more the Sam's than Costco, though. Get to boxing. But even there, if you're working there, you're still going to work. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, so, and, and I'm, But I am all for sort of simplifying and, and systems that can make work more enjoyable or, or uh, more uh, streamlined. But you still can't avoid the fact that work is going to be work, whether you love it or not, or it's easy or not. There's no, there's no grass is greener around here, which, yeah. which leads into my next really conversation. Cool yeah, yeah, I want to I ask you what you think of, of the profession and where it's going and what you think you see, what you like, what you don't like, things like that. Man, you know, I think a lot of it depends on the day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, I, I meet young guys that are really progressive and really energetic and really knowledgeable. And I think, man, we're in great shape. And then I meet some guys that are also kind of young that might have come from a different school or different family setting, you know, something like that. And they've got this whole thing wrong, you know, and they're coming at it from a completely different angle. And sometimes it feels like those guys outnumber the progressive guys. Um, and, and I get concerned. I get concerned that, that that's what we're still churning out and that's what people desire, you know, because I think if there was um, a sentiment against that sort of approach that it would continue to dwindle. But sometimes I feel like it's growing and, I, and it may just be my perspective or my tiny little, you know, 90 degree view of the world sometimes. But uh, in the big scheme, in the big essence, I, you know, FTCA has led me to believe better things. Um, I've met a lot of cool people in a very short period of time that all have renewed my faith, you know, in, in progress and in, in, in the direction of the profession. Uh, I think we've got some really cool things going on in our profession as a whole, uh, as long as we can't, as long as we don't screw it up, you know, and that's my biggest fear is that we're behind the scenes, we're screwing stuff up constantly. It still happens a lot. It still happens quite a bit. Uh, in, in Oregon, we are, there are conversations about hiring uh, chiropractors at the VA hospital. That conversation is going on across the country, but specifically I understand the, the, the move to get a chiropractor hired and on staff at the VA hospital. Now, what does the Oregon board, the Oregon state, uh, the, uh, what do they call themselves now? The Oregon chiropractic association it used to be Oregon doctors of chiropractic. The Oregon chiropractic association has to repeatedly, constantly and uh, nonstop remind people, don't call the VA <laughs> and ask if they're hiring you. You're going to make it worse for the rest of us. Uh, there's a process to this where the VA will uh, put post a job on their national job website area, and then you can apply through that system. But stop calling the VA and saying, you guys hiring anybody yet? Because or, it is you know, worse yet, 
call the VA and tell them <laughs> that they need to hire somebody. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. So, that so that stuff, and that stuff's been going on forever where, where national and state organizations try to make movements and push the movement forward. And then there's always one guy who thinks he can push it forward better because that's, that's just one of the diseases of the chiropractic profession is this sort of like ego, self-important sort of thing that, um, and you see it constantly. And it's like, no, this is the one thing that chiropractors are really bad at is, is working as a team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like everyone's an individual still. Um, that, that happened. Um, where did I see that a couple other times? Oh, uh, one time I was at Stanford touring their sports medicine facility, which of course at Stanford university. So it's immaculate. And they showed me the the place where the physical therapists work and the athletic trainers work and the physicians are over here. And then they've got uh, some wellness stuff with acupuncture and massage and it's all integrated together in this beautiful facility. And I asked the, the clinic director, so well, where's the chiropractors? You've got everything integrated, but them. And she goes, yeah, well, we used to, but um, we, what we found was they could not be team players. You know, the physician would say one thing to the athlete and then, and then the physical therapist would pick up on what the physician was saying. And then even the athletic trainers and the massage therapists, they were all in the, they all knew their place. They were all staying in their lane. And then the chiropractor would run in and be like, those guys are all full of shit. This is what you need to do, you know, and just totally undermine the whole process. So they just got rid of all the chiropractors and, and don't even deal with them anymore. Um, that uh, the Joe Rogan scenario. Do you remember that Joe Rogan oh, thing yeah. where, where he said, chiropractors are uh, are are uh, full of shit and all that yep. stuff and uh what did everybody do everybody fought to try to get joe rogan's attention to get them on on his podcast there was like a twitter and and facebook blitz from every single chiropractor that thought that they had the right answer to give joe rogan like you need to get me on your podcast so get me on your podcast joe and i'll tell him or get get uh, dr steve on on the podcast and he'll tell you how it really is and all it did was really make us all look bad instead of right. like maybe an organized push from the ACA or somebody where we had a, a responsible response. Uh, I had a deja vu, you know, about your, your Stanford experience. Um, my oldest son was being recruited for football a few years back and we were visiting a lot of schools down in this area. And I was so fascinated and so encouraged that, you know, places like Virginia tech, Georgia tech, Tennessee, all had chiropractors on staff, all had their own, their name on the wall. You know, it wasn't like a, you know, behind the scenes sort of thing. Everything's right. Uh, but went down to Alabama and I noticed, you know, con conspicuously uh, that there was no chiropractor. And so I had a pretty good talk with uh, their trainer and everything. And I, and I almost kind of was using it as a bargaining chip. My, if my son's going to come down here, you guys are going to get a chiropractor on staff. And he just laughed, like <laughs> just, you know, slapped his knee laugh. You know? Oh, Jesus. And I said, why is that funny? And he said, you're not the first person who said that. Um, it's going to be hard to influence us after the experiences we've had. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so I didn't get to, you know, figure out what the rest of that story was about, but it was enough for me to know that they've had probably exactly the same experience as Stanford did. Yep. It's always, um, and, and that's not to detract from some of the great docs that are now working in the NFL and, and major league baseball um, who are uh, very good team players. Yes you know, you hear about them and, and it, it sounds like uh, people like Jim Kurtz uh, with the Seahawks and a lot of these other guys, they flow seamlessly into the team matrix and they're not trying to make themselves out to be the, the stud of the, of the training staff, you know? Yeah. And you, you know, just like you said before, there's a, 
there's an ego sickness in this profession. And that's when you can finally find the way to check your ego at the door, good things happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. You would, you would, you would hear that from Jeff Langmaid when he's talking about marketing to, to medical doctors. You would hear that from any of the guys who are actually working with sports teams. You would hear that for sure. And it's amazing how when you check that at the door in your practice, a lot of amazing things happen too. Mm-hmm. Every single travesty I've ever seen, um, and I've seen quite a few in my, in my career involving owners of practices, has, become, has been because they have their ego tied into uh, the practice itself, you know? Mm-hmm. You just see, uh, I think, I forget which podcast it was, but we had a, a conversation about psychoparent syndrome. It's almost like the, the owner, once you become the owner of a chiropractic practice, you become the psycho helicopter parent and all rationale goes out the window. Yeah. Um, and you see it like in the, in the hiring process of an associate, like that, that sort of thing where an owner just tries to keep the associate under their thumb. Uh, you see it in the sales process where the, the person who's selling their practice to a buyer is just completely irrational about the sales process altogether. Yeah. That was my first associateship position. I mean, in a nutshell, ego. My first one, yeah. I was like, this. I was an amazing. It was an amazing practice. It was uh, super busy and all that stuff. But I wanted to. I was. I'm. I'm uber curious constantly. I always want to learn something new. So if I saw some sort of process, like say a billing process or a scheduling process or some sort of marketing process they were doing, well, how do you do that? What's that? What's the scenario? Like, how do you get uh, attorneys to refer people to you? on a personal injury scale. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Oh, don't worry about that. Just see the patients. <laughs> Your job is to see the patients. We'll, we'll make sure you get the patients. Don't look behind the curtain. Well, Work. when do I learn that stuff? No, no, no. Your job's not to learn any of that stuff. Oh, wait, <laughs> I don't ever learn any of that stuff. I'm either just going to work for you forever or what? And, uh, your job is to shovel. Yeah. Yeah. Go shovel. So, uh, plenty of people will get into that scenario, you know, cause when they get out of school, they're just like, uh, first things first, I need a paycheck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. And then they just start making these bad decisions based on, uh, this desperation to get that check. <laughs> yeah. I, I spoke to a young doc a couple of weeks ago who's kind of in some mess for that same reason. He, he out of desperation or out of security, you know, lack of security, in his own, his own self, he uh, joined a clinic against his better judgment and stayed with him for a while and felt like things were going wrong. Shenanigans were happening, but he did it anyway for the paycheck. And now things are falling apart. His provider number is messed up. His name is messed up. And he's now wishing he'd never made that jump and he'd just been poor, you know, and started out hungry. Did that have anything to do with the OIG exclusion site? No, no, no. This Are is you, a whole different. Okay. Because um, that'll get into our Medicare conversation. I wanted to, to talk sure. about the OIG exclusion website and how that comes into play with some of these young doctors. I don't think they understand what that is at all. Right. And I was pretty, I, I, I had heard a little bit about it, but now that I'm aware of it, I'm absolutely terrified. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I had a, a, a doctor the other day, uh, just, I mean, the, the guy I had the conversation with today was a bright guy. He hadn't even graduated yet, and he's already making plans. Uh, even though he doesn't know exactly what he's going to do, at least he's thinking. And he was terrified because I think it is scary when you're graduating 
and you don't have everything all lined up, like what are you going to do? What's, what's the world going to be like? What's it like to actually practice? And that's that sort of a, a conscious comp, a conscious incompetence of like, holy shit, I don't, I can't actually do this. I've never done it before. How is this going to work? And I told him like, you know what? That's good that you're, do, you're as a student, you've got to this level of conscious incompetence. I'm, I said, I'm telling you, there are people that graduate, they get their diploma, they walk off the stage and then they go, okay, I guess it's time to start looking for a job now. So what do I have to do to practice? You know, yep. like they haven't even applied to get a license in, in any state, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yep. it's, and he's like, are you serious? I go, yeah, like half of your class won't even know what they're doing until they actually graduate. Like, and then the other, like most of the other half are just pretending they know what they're going to do. And he's like, Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. Like, uh, it, it terrifies and it, it, terif it terrifies me because I've went through it. Well, that's not true. When I was, when I graduated from chiropractic college, I already had a job lined up with the folks that I was, a uh, an intern, like when I was an undergrad, I'd worked for a chiropractic practice and they were like, when you come back, you've got, we've got a job for you. So I always had that sort of in my back pocket. Of course, when I came back, it was a totally, it was a shitty deal. And they were, you know, they were just unrealistic people. Um, but I always had that in my back pocket. So I never worried about what I was going to do after I graduated. So I never had that fear. Um, but I do know that the most important thing is that little brief, like how you get started in this career can set you back tremendously or launch you forward tremendously. That first six months to a year of practicing almost determines the next four to five years. You know what I mean? It really can. And if you make a bad decision uh, in the first, that first bad decision, it's, it can set you up for bad decision after bad decision. The, the worst thing I see is when uh, young Kairos are moving from office to office to office in their first year or from state to state to try to sort of figure out the right job situation. It's so painful mm -hmm. for me to see. Grass is always greener, man. You get nothing out of it. You get absolutely nothing. Now, if you jumped from like one neighborhood to the next neighborhood in a big city and you could still sort of like collect patients along the way, I guess that'd be all right. No offense to you and your choice with life, but um, <laughs> no. like, like some people decide where they're going to practice just based on the fact of where their girlfriend or boyfriend is, you know, mm -hmm. in, in this city, Portland, Oregon, which is a, a city that has multiple professional schools and you know, there's med school, there's chiropractic school, naturopathic school, there's optometry and dentistry and uh, the medical school has multiple medical professionals. And then there's like uh, a bunch of universities that, so there's a lot of young people and, you know, they go out and you, you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend and it's like, well, she's got a couple more years left of optometry school. I'm just going to sort of hang out here and work and uh, sort of like, uh, we'll get our life started here. And then they never, they never did the research, the, the, the homework to say, where's the best place that'll give me the best opportunity to be as success, successful as possible right out of the gates. Um, and, and that's like, that's the biggest mistake I see most people do. That's also why you see a ton of chiropractors right around chiropractic colleges. Oh, yeah. It's like it's they crazy. can't, they can't get away from it, you know? Mm-hmm. But you look on a map and you look at Mississippi or once again, Alabama, like, hey, there's hardly like any chiropractors down there. Why is that? Well, there's a couple reasons, but <laughs> <laughs> one of them is uh, 
no one has really done the research to understand how they can get into that marketplace and make a, a good run at it. Because yeah. their girlfriend yeah. said no, you know. Yeah, my um, my life experience is, is kind of funny. I was a heretic from the day one. Um, I was mentored by some pretty good people who helped me navigate the philosophy or lack of. And uh, my claim to fame, one of them, uh, is I was a student ACA officer when I was down there. And I set up a membership booth outside the assembly hall on Founders Day. So <laughs> Sid Williams almost threw me out of the state uh, when he came out the door in his, you know, his proudest hour and they celebrate they have a big cake and they cut it and he gets his picture made with the local dignitaries and everything. And I'm sitting right outside the door with the ACA booth. So that didn't go over well. And at, after that, they made a rule that no one could set up <laughs> outside of assembly in any, any fashion whatsoever. Um, he is uh, as much of a cartoon character as they make him out to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then some. I also parked in his parking space one time. <laughs> <laughs> Just poking, you know, poking the bear. The, my, my mentor was Bill Dallas, who was uh, the president of Western States Chiropractic College. And he, he went to school. He was classmates with uh, Sid Williams. They were like arch rivals in school. And they had some stories. They they were they were bitter, friendly bitter enemies till the end. <laughs> and he had some amazing Sid Williams stories, the early Sid Williams stories. The guy was kind of interesting, if nothing else. Um, one story I'll tell about it is that uh, when we were doing student orientation, you know, the very first day we were at school, um, he came and spoke, and uh, they had a kind of a break in the day, and we went across the street to the little club over there that when they served lunch to all the students and they said you can bring your spouse or your kids or whatever and mingle and all that kind of stuff well a buddy of mine who was from staten island new york uh, had moved um into life with his girlfriend and so she met us for lunch and we're standing there and there's 120 something people in my entry class at life and so a lot of people brought their spouses and friends on that kind of thing sid's going through the line shaking hands with everybody and stops and looks at this guy's girlfriend and said, you were not in that room across the street. She, he said, are you not a student? <laughs> she said, no, I'm a girlfriend. He said, well, I noticed you weren't there, which I thought was amazing to have a class full of 120 people. And he speaks for 20 minutes and notices one person that was not in that class. Yeah. So he had some creepy powers. Yeah. That, that's reverse though. He, he noticed her because he didn't, he didn't notice her because he would have noticed her. Right. Right. No. Yeah. No, it wasn't one of those. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no. Wow. Okay. No, she was, yeah. That's not anything in particular. Oh, really? With all respect to my friend and his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty no. average. She did not okay. stand out in the crowd. All right. No, that is a creepy skill to have. It was. <laughs> it definitely was. I think in that situation, he's probably got his words down so well. He doesn't have to think about what he's saying. <laughs> just, just push go, you know? Yep. And then watch the crowd's reaction. There were yeah. some spiels that were on repeat. <laughs> I heard several <laughs> of them many times. <laughs> I can imagine. We had no spiels at Western States. There was no, we Lucky. got nothing. Yeah. Lucky. Yeah. There was no, and uh, it, I, apparently the times are shifting now, which is kind of sad. That is. Um, I got, uh, I got some Medicare stuff. So we agreed that we would do like, the top seven things that I took from this Medicare talk I had at, uh, I, I was witnessed at Parker seminars and you can go off on it. Do you want to or, say who did it or you want me to guess or <laughs> you just want to talk about it? 
I'll just talk about it. I, okay. I think he did a great job. Um, I don't have his name right here on my notes. I can easily find it. I think he did a great job. I don't disagree with much of what he said, but I wanted to get second opinions. It's on one it. of those kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think okay, he good. did. I, I think he did a very serviceable and quality job. Uh, you know, you, I always just want to bounce my information off of further experts to make sure that we can agree on that. Sure. Uh, first things first is the OIG exclusion website. Yes. Uh, what what was relayed to me is that on this website. Um, if you end up being a bad boy or a bad girl and you end up on this website, um, now from then on, it's almost like you are a virus. Mm -hmm. And if, so say it's an owner of a clinic and they hire an associate and the associate comes in and works for somebody who is on the OIG exclusion website. Now that associate is also excluded. You're tainted. You're at least you're, tainted. You're yeah. tainted. And now you, as the associate, go and open up your own practice or you go to move, work for somebody else, um, you don't get to see, you know, you, you're, you're persona non grata as far as Medicare is concerned, as is all of your staff. Now they're all tainted. <laughs> and if you hire a office manager and then she goes and works for another clinic, she has now tainted that clinic. It's like a viral disease. Truly viral, yeah. Um, so by whatever means necessary, you do not want to be on the OIG exclusion website. No. I never, he never really broke down what you have to do. Well, I was going <laughs> like to say, how it's bad not does easy. it have to be? As a chiropractor, it's not easy to get on there, but I'm sure you could. And I'm sure there are some on there, but you know, for us, we've got to really do some stuff to, to get on that list. You got to be a higher level fraud there. Yeah. And you usually don't do it alone. You know, gotcha. some, some things that are that kind of dollar and number amounts. Um, in that level of what do you want to call it fraud i guess um or, or lack of compliance is a nice way to say it lack of fraud yeah, is right. probably the word <laughs> um but yeah to get to so that he was using this as an attention getter to scare the audience out of their pants in order to get them to listen to the next things he had to say about what to do with medicare that's an admirable strategy i never thought about it but hey yeah. i'm cool with it um Next, Medicare doesn't allow free services. Right. So if you're putting a hot pack on a patient just to be nice and you don't bill for it, that can be looked at as inducement. It can. I mean, you want to get into the subtlety of that. If you don't document it, nobody knows you did it unless the patient tells them. And, and when is that going to come up in conversation? Maybe never. Um, but yeah, from the letter of the law, you don't give stuff away as loss leaders to Medicare patients. I mean, there's, there are some exclusions and there are some limits. You could probably do it a few times and get away with it. But if it's a habitual thing, uh, as I heard some people have those, you know, cool um, water massage, hydro massage tables and stuff that they let right. every Medicare patient lay on for free, but they charge everybody else 20 bucks, you know, every time they lay on it. Right. Uh, yeah. The word gets out about that. Somehow things are going to happen. Yeah. That, that does sound like classic inducement. For those who depending don't on know. the numbers, that could get you on the, in the uh, exclusion list. I don't know. I mean, I think it would take a, a still a big number of, you know, to, to take that inducement and run with it and see what it really did for your practice, you know, and extrapolate because the feds, um, Medicare OIG is really good at extrapolating based on a sample. Um, so they could, I mean, I guess they could. Right. Um, that, that's the legendary. Um, so I don't mind saying names here because it's documented information uh, that anyone can look up. Uh, there's a chiropractor. His name is Joe Borio. He's sort of like a chiropractic celebrity. 
and Joe Borio was uh, convicted. I don't, I don't know if convicted is the right term, found, found to have conducted fraud at some point, Medicare fraud. And, um, and so, so what they had done was they had took a very small sample size of his charts, his chart notes. Mm-hmm. And from that small cham- sample size, you, you can read all about this. Uh, there's links. I've, I've read a couple articles about it online. Through that small sample size, they, like you said, extrapolated how much fraud he may or may not have committed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that small sample size was from like maybe a year. And he's been practicing for whatever, 20 or 30 years. But right. they had made the assumption that there was fraud going on that whole time. Yep. And then he had to pay money. Um, yes. And then go through corrective processes to make sure he doesn't do it again. Uh, I may or may not have used air quotes there. <laughs> um, so what Joe, Joe Borio does when we call him out online is he uh, tries to position himself as a leader in the chiropractic profession or someone who's a thought leader and someone that you should listen to and trust his advice and trust his leadership is we might every now and again bring this up that he's also a fraud <laughs> online, you know, and, uh, convenient. and, and it is, it's very inconvenient for him. So he, he defends it by saying, that's not fair. I was not actually a fraud. They just took a very small sample size and found some stuff in this small sample size. But, but I've been practicing for many years and it's sort of like, dude, we can assume Easily, we can assume that if they took a small sample size and found stuff from one year, that there was probably stuff going on in other years, too. So stop. Stop. Well, I was going to say, even a not-so-great attorney could have turned that around if it wasn't, if it wasn't deep right. enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and, uh, <laughs> you, you took such a small sample size, you suck, you know, and then they would have found a way to turn that around in the court. But, you know, it sounds like they didn't even touch it. And they said, sounds hey, like they didn't need to go. Yeah. Pay, the bill, yeah. pay the bill, pay the fee, move on with your life. Which is a thing in chiropractic. If you plan on being a big, a big, uh, a, a big name in this profession, you better keep your ethics and your compliance tight, because the bigger you get, the more people start looking at you and wanting to take you down. Mm-hmm. That's exactly true. And I'm not just saying like haters, like other chiropractors, but Ooh. I'm saying federal agents will show up, yeah, because uh, a certain insurance companies. Uh, or certain third-party payers start saying, man, we're writing a lot of checks to this guy, and I don't like that. And then they start complaining, and the next thing you know, there's some investigators at your office because places like, uh, um, uh, I don't want to say any names, but you know, the, the yep. you know they, they, they've complained so much that now the, the feds are at your door taking your computers. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't claim to be a big fish, but you know, I was president of our state association, also president of our board of examiners, and uh, I've been a liaison to our one of our big plans in our state for years and we'd meet with them almost every year and do some things. And they've had some turnovers over the years and management, et cetera. But, um, a couple of times people that I knew that worked within the company said they've mentioned your name specifically in meetings and that we need to watch you because you are the leader. You are the guy that they put in, as the face of the profession. And if the face of the profession is sticking it to us, then they're going to use you as an example to everybody else. Yeah. So, and he said that happened behind closed doors. I can't, you know, I can, can't prove it, but I was there. And, and I know that to be probably the case because when we sat down at a meeting a couple of years ago, the first thing they did is start quoting off my average visit costs and my number of clients, the number of patients from this certain company and that kind of thing just right off the <laughs> wow. top of their head. And that was a little daunting, um, but a testament to keeping your nose clean. 
and this is just we're just in one of those we're just in a we're in a profession a profession of professionals of learned doctors that when we choose our leaders we don't it's like we don't even think about that stuff whatsoever when we pick our leaders that you put a you put a billy demoss on the stage not ever thinking that there there are probably tons of things cataloged on that dude <laughs> and they're just waiting at any moment yep. um there was a, a guy in one of the towns I practiced in. So if I've practiced in three towns, that won't, sig- that won't <laughs> single one guy out. Right. But there was a guy in one of the towns that I practiced in that literally, because you can go on Medicare and see who's billing what and what they're getting paid for and how much they're making, uh, uh, five units, uh, full spine adjustment on every single patient, all of them. And it's wow. like, yeah, if you see maybe uh, you know, whatever, a small number of patients in a year, no one's going to come knocking, but right. the bigger and bigger that guy gets, eventually he's going to trigger some mm-hmm. sort of red flag yeah. and they're going to come taking all that stuff away. And in the meantime, he can go rolling around town saying, I'm killing it. I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing tons <laughs> of patients. I'm winning. Crushing I'm making it. all this money. Yeah. Until once again, they got they got windbreakers. They're like snap windbreakers. They're kind of like a navy blue and yellow on the back. It says FBI. Yes. And uh, and they just show up and they take your shit. <laughs> That's not the guy you want in your lobby. And if you link to your bank account to them so they can direct deposit all this Medicare money for all these five unit adjustments, they can just empty that thing out. Uh, next one uh, from this Medicare uh, talk: release the patient, have an end date. Absolutely. Have a a series of specific goals, meet those goals, and then at a specific end end point, let that patient go. Yep. They call it episodes of care. They call it bursts of care. Um, Identify the problem, resolve the problem, let them go. If the problem comes back and the patient comes back, you start a whole new dealio, but there still needs to be a plan. There still needs to be, you know, a care plan and an end point in mind and that kind of thing. Uh, that's we fail that more than anything just about as a profession and that that stands for any insurance really but medicare pays close attention to it um all all diagnoses are appropriate so uh, it's always been the word going around that you had to stick to sort of like m99.01 and m99 you know those m99 diagnoses yeah and and that depends on the carrier too yeah okay so that does depend on the carrier yeah uh most carriers, I mean, as far as I know, most MACs require one of those subluxation codes as a primary. But beyond mm-hmm. the primary, some of them could care less what you put for the second gotcha. uh, secondary diagnosis. Some of them actually do have a list. And based on that list, help determine whether care should be a short-term or a very long-term kind of thing, whatever you put on the secondary diagnosis. But some, I've looked at the LCDs of several plans, and they say nothing about and they don't care. In fact, they come out and just say no other code tells us good or bad about your patient than gotcha. uh, 99.0 whatever a mechanism of injury is very important do not write down just insidious onset for mechanism of injury if they don't have a good mechanism of injury dig deeper and deeper until you find out was it something was it gardening was it exercise you got to have a good quality mechanism of injury for each one of these uh, bursts of care that's absolutely true and i, I think um Greg Friedman does a really good job anecdotally of talking about that and saying, you know, if, if somebody just can't come up with a, a way that they hurt or a complaint that they have, then you finally just say, well, how will you be paying for this visit? 
Right. And we, <laughs> That's and, so Greg. And then, yeah. And they say, what do you mean? Well, yeah. you, you don't have a mechanism and you don't have a, a complaint. Then this is a cash visit. Oh wait, yeah. I seem to remember that yeah. I tripped yesterday. <laughs> Suddenly the memory comes back. Uh, sometimes patients are poor historians, especially the, the Medicare population, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. for lots of reasons. Yeah. Um, of course, some of the stuff's common sense, uh, be objective, use numbers, use measurements, be quantitative. The biggest issue with Medicare is the treatment plan. That's where we're finding the biggest yes. issue and the biggest problem. Yes, yes, yes. You must have a specific goal and start with that goal first. Um, or a series so, of goals. Or a series of goals. Right, right, of course. Uh, what type of goals? Medicare doesn't have a specific requirement on goals specifically, but ADL goals are, of course, the best. Yep. Uh, OATS, outcome assessment measures are great too. Um, but being measurable in these goals is the key. So, right. you know, uh, ability to sit for a certain time, distance walking, sleep, quantitative sleep stuff. Um, if, it's, if they're active, quantitative lifting things, uh, that sort of stuff. Yep. Ortho neuro, neuro goals are not the best. Of course, pain is not the best, but pain is not the best ever. Um, but but, no, being but pain healthy. probably should be one anyway because they always go back to that. Yeah, and if you do discuss pain, I've got it as a note here. Um, the pain, if you're gonna, if you're diagnosing a certain vertebrae, the pain's got to be, or the symptoms have to be specifically tied to that vertebrae yeah. level. Has to be correlated. Yes, absolutely. Um. So you've, you, you've become goal centric, give the patient an estimated release date uh, and your goal comes first and then duration is what you focus on next Yes. in these treatment plans. So you have to have a goal first and then the goal dictates your duration. Yeah. You know, and people make a lot of this, um, like, you know, I can't see the future, blah, blah, blah. And nobody's asking you to etch that in stone. You know, you just got to come up with a plan like you do right. with anybody. You don't know how anybody's going to turn out. Um, but people get paralyzed by this whole Medicare documentation care plan kind of thing when really you're just, you're just laying it out like you want it to unfold or how you expect it to unfold based on your experience. And if it doesn't unfold like that, you just document why it didn't unfold like that and you create a new plan. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's my next set of notes was uh, the, the goal and then the duration. If it's four months, it's four months. If it's two months, it's two months. Duration is not that much of an issue with Medicare. Um, as long as you can prove need. Exactly. And then after, so goal and then duration. So, all right, we've got a goal that we want to get you to be able to walk a mile uh, without this low back pain, Mr. Jones. That's our goal. Now, the next thing would be our duration. I think that's going to take about two months. The next thing you would focus on is frequency. So it's, it's almost a little bit backwards in the way some people think, all right, Mr. Jones, you got back pain. It's going to take three times a week for <laughs> whatever. Right, right. And then, well, that's and how then, we're trained, man. That's how yeah. we're trained. So you go, what's the goal? How long do you think it's going to take? And how many visits within that time do you think it's going to be? Now that how many times you think, how many visits you think it's going to be is the linchpin here. So you say, you know, within that two months, it's going to be eight visits. Yep. Now, what you do with your chart notes is, uh, even though Medicare doesn't have a cap in visits, um, what you want to do, <laughs> technically, yes, of course, um, is you want to write down in each one of your chart notes in each one of these sessions for this treat for this treatment plan what visit number you are on. 
So if it's if you had eight visits in the plan and it's visit number two on your soap note or your on your chart note, you would write visit number two. Yeah, of eight. Of eight, right? That's Correct. that's the way I read it in our two of eight. Our, yes, our state plan it said to to notate in your care plan just to clean it up and make it easier, basically for the reviewers. That if you said this person's going to need eight visits over three weeks, um, then this is visit four of eight, and you you spell it out that way. And they really want to see that. Yeah, they really want to see that. Um, and then after that, your plan is your plan. And then you release the patient when the plan is done. You know, there's, there's ways, like you've just said, and if there's exacerbations, does it change the plan? Does sure. it change the goals? Um, you know, you've always got to ask if there's any changes since the last visit because in, uh, in a lot of, in general, most chiropractors don't even do that. Like at least train your staff when a patient, any patient comes in, is there anything different? Did anything happen to you right. since we saw you last? Jesus Christ, that's one easy thing to do. <laughs> but most people don't do that. And you're going to miss something, everything, nothing. It's going to slow your day down. You're going to be a bad uh, plan manager, all that stuff. So please, Routine is our biggest enemy in all this. You know, yeah. if you see enough people over enough time, they start to all look the same and you start treating them all the same. And, yeah. and that's where... It'll come back to get you. Um, what else do we got? Oh, this ABN thing was very interesting to me because how do I see most people uh, performing this ABN or the advanced beneficiary notice? Is that the new patient comes in who's Medicare, they have them sign the advanced beneficiary notice, and then that's it. Just in case. Just in case. Yeah, which invalidates every one of them. <laughs> oh, man. here's and this was new to me and i never i never really knew this because um i i mean i'm i just i don't see a lot of medicare patients even though that's picking up as far as business goes um i even practiced for three years uh out away from medicare altogether but here's how it's really this that's how this guy says he wants it to work a uh, patient comes in who's a medicare recipient they have this new complaint there's an ABN completed. They, they go through this treatment plan as we just discussed, the goal, the duration, and the frequency, and then you release the patient. And you re when you release the patient, that ABN is now invalid. It's done. And then they're a wellness patient until they have a new complaint. I will disagree with that. So I knew we would find something. <laughs> and, then he, and then he said when they come in with a new complaint – with a new treatment plan, then you would do a new ABN. When you have an ABN signed, what you're saying by having that signed is that you expect that visit not to be paid for, for some reason. Gotcha. If you do that on a brand new patient, it means nothing. And if you, okay, if you do this properly and you have an ABN signed, you also code your visit instead of AT, which is active treatment, you'd code it as GA, which means I've got an ABN signed. Some carriers automatically trigger the minute you put GA on there that you assume that they're now maintenance and therefore they'll stop paying. So if you're having an ABN signed and you're not putting in GA, then it invalidates it as well because nobody knows you had an ABN signed unless you appeal it. And then you got to go through all that process. And then there's really no good reason for you've had for you to have had it signed in the first place. You have to suspect that visit is not going to be paid for to have an ABN signed. Otherwise you don't do it. Interesting. Okay. But people use the ABN as a different vehicle, right? Like some people are using it to uh, collect payment for things that aren't covered by Medicare. Yeah, but you don't have to. 
It's optional ah. for anything that's not a covered service. Okay. That makes it easier. Yeah. If it's I mean, a non-covered service, you don't have to do, you don't have to tell them anything. You're not obligated to tell them anything. Medicare says they should know their policy, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Right. <laughs> everything else. But they say that if it's a non-covered service, it's not something you have to notify them of unless you do it as a courtesy. What do you do? Just uh, photocopy off Medicare benefit policy manual, chapter 15, section 240. <laughs> I'd be like, here you go, patient. You're responsible right. for knowing this. Um, go look it up. It's online. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the language, uh, uh, towards the Medicare patient that essentially Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you are a cash patient except for your manipulation is covered by Medicare when it's medically necessary. Yeah. That's kind of backwards, but it works. Yeah, it is backwards, but I've heard people using that lately. That was it, man. That's all I got on notes from this guy. He didn't do too bad. No, that wasn't bad. Um, you know, the ABN thing is the only thing I didn't agree with. I didn't agree with them trying to scare the shit out of us in the beginning with the exclusion website. Yeah. I've never heard anybody take that tack. Um, but the exclusion <laughs> list yeah, is Medicare herpes. Yeah. You can't hire me. I've got Medicare herpes. Yep. That one's, I'm not hireable anymore. Well, the difference is you can get rid of, of the, uh, of the exclusion list eventually. If you keep your nose clean and continue gotcha. to try, gotcha. you know, there's a way to get out of that. But Especially herpes far removed yeah, from yeah. the original virus. Herpes never goes away though. Kids. <laughs> Um, what kind of, uh, when, when you're in, so you're going to be presenting at, uh, forward KC. Yes. And, uh, we've got you in sort of a track or a bunch with Greg Friedman, oh, uh, documenter extraordinaire. And he's a dude, got, man. He's my buddy. And we've got, uh, Brandy Nemchenko in there too, who's been a successful practice owner. So it's sort of like a business ethics and compliance sort of track. I'm the meat in that sandwich. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Right. What kind of things are you going to address there? What, what, what's your focus at this point as you, well, you know, when we originally talked about coming, um, it was about Medicare and I thought Medicare buying of itself, if somebody comes and want a full on Medicare seminar for one hour, they're going to be really disappointed. Right. So I figured we need to specialize that. We need to clean that up a little bit and do something that's going to attract attention, but also be helpful to almost anybody. And the direction I decided to take it in is to talk about a lot of the myths, the mis misunderstandings, the, the wrongful information, because there is so much of it out there, as you just saw. <laughs> right. um, um, and I want to work through some of the most common misconceptions um, so people can, can see it in writing and see it from hopefully a trusted source um, that the things they've been told may not be exactly true. And here's why. That goes back to the beginning of this podcast is these young chiropractors that are intimidated and they're, they're, they're either uh, afraid or uneducated or unaware. It's, it's probably uneducated it, it, at the most chiropractic colleges. They're uneducated about this stuff. So they're intimidated and don't want to jump into it because they don't want to make mistakes and they most certainly don't want to do it wrong and, and face some sort of retribution. So they just almost assume to not do it at all when we've said that uh, the Medicare system as far as being a chiropractor is not that bad of a system to be in whatsoever. Nope. It's so. very straightforward and the rules are very clear. It's just, we struggle with complying. Yeah. Now what, what we get a bad rap. <laughs> um, but from what I understand, the data that's coming out is we're getting better at yeah compliance and, and notes and things like that. We're less crappy than we used We're to be. We're less crappy than we used to be. <laughs> Go team. Still Go crappy, team. but not as crappy as we were before. 
you know, hey. <laughs> uh, we progress. Get, it's we still progress. Better. Yeah, that's why I'm leaning on you, man. You've got uh, a, a couple hundred people that'll be there, and you can get some of them steered in the right direction. Sure hope so. Uh, what What's your hopes for this profession, for this whole what do you what do you what do you see the future looking like? I um you're not I going hope. anywhere, right? You've got no what, man. 20? I'm gonna practice forever. Yeah, me too. I feel good. I'm 53, but I feel better than I did when I was 30. So I'm I'm rolling on. Unless somebody you know hit the lottery or somebody offers me something great. Now you got to play the lottery if you're gonna hit the lottery. This is true. This is true. <laughs> um. So where do I hope? Where do I think the profession is headed? I, you know, I hope that that FTCA is a spark, and I believe that it is. Uh, I think many like-minded people like myself were out there feeling like they were alone and that, you know, the numbers of like-minded people were diminishing instead of increasing. But now that we have a voice and now we have an organization, I feel like, and then, and also, you know, correlate that with the ACA's new stance, I think is yeah. a really positive thing that there is a, a um, groundswell of support for doing the right thing and for moving forward and being evidence-based and science-based and reality-based there is. Uh, and, and trying to demystify and de-religion uh, the profession. This is not something that needs to be stuck in the 1800s. We've got some good stuff to offer, and we can prove it in a very meaningful way. And so I'm hoping that that's exactly where we're headed, is to finally be able to, to show what we're worth in a really meaningful way. I saw it at this Parker seminar I went to. Um, Tim Raven was giving a, a, a talk that could only be described as what you would expect at a research symposium, not at a Parker seminar. Wow. It almost had no place there, but I know that Dr. Morgan brought that piece in for that specific reason. Yeah. You know, to expose people to this, this thing that they may not have seen in a long time. It was uh, what people, when we were walking out, I heard a lot of comments. Like I felt like I was in class again. I felt like I was, I was learning neurophysiology all over again, uh, because you were, but, right. uh, when, when Tim was doing his talk and Tim is a consummate professional, he, he doesn't, he doesn't get into this infighting stuff. He's not, um, he's not like me. <laughs> he's not a fire starter. He's not going to try to push any buttons or, or, uh, or call anybody out onto the floor. Um, but there were, there were times during the question and answer session where, he needed to say the right thing, but he didn't want to say it in a way that would be offensive. And there were, there were people, me included, and uh, Dr. Morgan included himself, where we knew, like, you know, he was asked questions about the subluxation station or um, <laughs> how much an adjustment affects the brain, a la this sort of, like, false understanding of Havoc's research. Right. Um, and he he's, has these opportunities to correct the record and say the right thing so that people understand the truth. Uh, not just appease their their uh, religious uh, convictions when it comes to chiropractic, and he was sort of like a deer in the headlights. Like he, <laughs> he sort of stopped and like, how do I answer this without totally pissing these people off? And me and Bill are over here on the side, like, do it, <laughs> go, go. Like we were like, he was like in a race, and we're like, you can do it. You gotta say it. You have to say it. And he's uh, trying to get off the stage and you got to try and push him back on yeah we're like you got us you got us so in you know for one that he wouldn't have never even had a stage five years ago 10 years ago um obviously if it's not for uh dr morgan he wouldn't have the stage but um these things are happening in a slow steady pace everywhere and you can see it with the sort of really hardcore entrenched straight chiropractors they're getting more and more uncomfortable more and more belligerent 
um, they are they are coming across looking like uh, petulant children sometimes mm-hmm. um, with the way that they they throw accusations and they throw uh, insults and things around. Uh, we like to make I, I will not lie in the in the forward thinking chiropractic alliance. We love to make fun of uh, some straight chiropractors that are just pure nonsense. We have a dumpster fire Thursdays where on Thursday you can just put up what other chiropractors, some of the kookiest shit they're saying in the entire world. And we all have a good laugh, (laughs) but then we kind of go on with our day. We don't think you're ruining the whole world. It's sort of like, you're just crazy, you know, but the the straight chiropractors feel they position the, whatever they want to call them, the mixers, the wannabe PTs, the metapractors, uh, they have all these these insulting names, and they really position it as we are the evil of the world that is trying to destroy everything. Killing the profession. We all want to do vaccines. We all want to prescribe drugs. Um, all medical asked, doctors that couldn't make it. Yeah, so we, we just we should have been MDs, but we couldn't yeah. hack it. Yeah. We can't adjust. <laughs> yeah. um, tell me, is chiropractic a drug-free profession? Absolutely. Me too. And I think if you asked, uh, 90% of the forward-thinking chiropractic alliance would probably also tell you the same. Yep. Yeah, that's, what, that's where they paint us as. We want to prescribe drugs. Right. You guys are full of shit. They're all full of shit. It's, it's a, it's a, a party-line war that they need to keep in order to keep themselves relevant. Yeah, I saw an ugly, rant, an ugly online rant um, after the Choose Wisely campaign came out, and it basically evolved into C- they want to do drug. They want to bring drugs into the profession. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing to you do. With it. And then it's like, so, so give me some money. So <laughs> it's like, look, these guys want to do drugs in the profession. So give me some money as a guru and I will, I will rant some more. <laughs> I will loudly rant. I will rant even louder. If you, uh, link directly to my PayPal account, <laughs> it's just like, it's always and fomenting me and they can't, but you know, that's beside yeah, the point. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's fomenting fear over and over again. Well, what we want to do with the forward thinking chiropractic alliance as it evolves, as we get into forward KC, I mean, the reason we named it just forward Kansas city is because we want to focus on moving things in a positive direction towards the future. Um, we can have respect for 1895 in the rearview mirror, but by no means do we have to live 1895 right now in 2018. Preach, brother. Bam! <laughs> um, I like your voice. You probably had a chance at country music stardom at some point. <laughs> like you got, it's just right there. It's, if you just draw that out with a little bit of a 12-string acoustic guitar and some friends, well, friends, you've yeah. got friends in low places and we're all going to meet in Kansas city. I was going to say, we get the right thing going in Kansas city. You may find out <laughs> <laughs> we're putting the band on tour. That's right. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for, uh, for, uh, honoring or, uh, entertaining me with the Medicare stuff. Yeah, it is entertaining, isn't it? I think Just it's fascinating. fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, I think it entertains me. It entertains me in that it's so simplistic yet. We complicate it to no end. Yeah. That's really what fascinates me about it the most, and, I guess. And people fear the government. You know what? Just do what you do. And if you're not doing it right, someone will tell you. <laughs> right. Well, that's pretty true. But if you, if you operate on a base uh, operating system of ethics and patient-centeredness and doing the right thing, I don't think you have much to worry about. Nope. Just do the, do the best you can and try. Because if you step in a puddle, you know, it's not going to drown you. Right. Uh, you know, it's the people who are out there really, really digging themselves a ditch. 
I'm full well, of euphemisms today, by the way. You, you know, know. We, what we see a lot is we see people have amazing ideas and they go, well, you can't do that idea because the board says this or the government says this, and then you've got to have this permit. And if you don't have the right insurance and, and this, and this, and it's always great to protect yourself and protect your patients and protect your assets and your property. But at some point, sometimes you just got to try. You know, and then if yeah. the board, if the board comes along and goes, well, you know, you can't really like say it that way. You go, oh, all right. Well, I'll do it a different way then. I, I, I love to comply. No, and don't do, just don't do anything illegal and don't do anything unethical and don't harm your patients. And you know, if you're doing illegal stuff, you know, you're doing illegal stuff. Yeah, right. You exactly. Know? It's not like you're accidentally breaking the law much. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, in our neighborhood, because there's a chiropractor on every corner, but we're destroying all of them. There are, everyone's got sandwich boards up and down the street. You know, they, they got their sandwich board of their practice out there and they've chained it down to the, to the, like the street signs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And those are all illegal city, citywide. Those sandwich boards are illegal without wow. some sort of special permit, but they're all doing it. And, yep. and, uh, and we're like, well, we don't want to do anything illegal. Eh, let's throw up a sandwich board and see what happens. <laughs> you know, just try it. And if they say, no, you can't do that, then all right. Sorry. Ask, I didn't know. Ask for forgiveness and not for permission. Right. Right. That's right do and then ask for, for for forgiveness later that's right um uh that's all i got man it's been a long day that's a lot of stuff and for this to be the one that you end on it's a pretty big deal yeah yeah um there's been some great podcasts recently but uh i actually kind of enjoyed this one quite a bit you are a solid solid dude softball still or no well i try you know i was i had a few years off and i i decided to go back in a church league um, a few years back and got out there and practiced and I thought, you know, I throw pretty well. I hit the ball pretty cleanly, but the thing that I didn't practice was running like sprinting. <laughs> and so the first time I get in a game and just hit a solid gapper and decide I'm going to take off running to first base, Your Achilles and my body says you? great. And my, I mean, my head says great. And my body goes, we don't do that. We don't do that anymore. And so <laughs> tore all my hip flexors and, you know, Achilles tendon and everything else. And I would limp home and crawl up the stairs and lay down in the kitchen in a heap. And my wife would just shake her head and throw an ice pack and we'd do it again tomorrow. So, <laughs> I mean, I'd do it. You know, I, I'm more worried about injuring myself and not being able to, to work <laughs> than I am, you know, just messing things up on the field. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I fully yeah. retired from basketball. It's We're still done. in my heart. Good. It's a good sport. <laughs> it is. Um, I'm going to see you in a couple weeks. Yes, sir. What's your uh, poison? You, you do whiskey? I mean, I like it all, but yeah. <laughs> I like to introduce okay. people to good whiskey. That, introduce me. Introduce me. Show me okay. your ways. Show me sure. the ways of the master. I can make that happen. They, they make that stuff in Kentucky or? Oh, we don't talk about Kentucky. That's not real whiskey. <laughs> That's bourbon. That's bourbon, right? That's a bad word. So is there like at the border, you go from bourbon to whiskey or? Um, I think there's actually some laws that say it has to be made in Kentucky to be bourbon or something. Oh, like really? That. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're in California. We, everyone's Tennessee whiskey is different. It's sour mash and there's some other things I can do to dress it up a little bit, but it's, it's charcoal filtered where um, Kentucky is not. Gotcha. Just FYI. Yeah, I don't, I mean, we don't, you guys take that stuff really personally and you know, on the West Coast, <laughs> West Coast, everyone's, uh, they're putting anything in them that they can at this point. Um, <laughs> Oregon and California, Washington, smoking weed and drinking four locos and, um, um, you know, there's a lot of people with this opioid epidemic that are really getting hit pretty bad. Commercial moonshine has become a big thing here. 
And really? It's, it's kind of laughable because, you know, the real moonshine is made illegally. But someone caught on to the fact that we're in Tennessee, and if we make legal moonshine, people will buy it. And evidently, they're buying it. Because <laughs> now there's about 20 moonshine companies that you'll see spread out through the liquor stores um, making this what they call moonshine, and real people will call it brandy. <laughs> brandy, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's in a jar, so it's moonshine. Right. They put it in a mason jar, so mm-hmm. and keep it kind of unfiltered. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> I'm not drinking that shit. <laughs> Um. Oh man, we could talk about all that stuff forever. Yeah, we could. Uh, yeah, let's let's party. Let's have a good time. Let's do that. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I was excited all along, and then when we had our little call last night, I think it left everybody with an energy, and I finally got to see all the faces in one place. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, for the audience out there, we had our first Sorry. sort of teleconference of all the speakers for uh, Forward KC, and when they all popped up on the screen, it was like, oh my god, this is real. These are, this is our people, our family. Um, anyone who's been on the fence about going to this thing, I don't, I don't care where you're at in the country. We'll find a place for you. We'll, we'll get a bed somewhere. We'll, we'll find a way to put you up. You just got to get there. But I don't think you want to miss the first one. Yeah, this is either because it's going to be so amazing that it'll go down in history as the most amazing thing ever, or it'll be a complete, uh, uh, just a building fire. <laughs> yeah, but either way, you got to see it. <laughs> but you got to see it. That's right. That's right. Um, so that's what I'm promising. It's going to be the most amazing thing ever, or we're going down in flames. <laughs> I like on, it. On that note, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your pleasure. time. I You're appreciate welcome. you.